1: Issue. Let's get political. Political. Please explain. Flexing the democracy muscles. You cannot succumb to the laziness. Get informed. Get
0: fit. Do you want Labour's energy? It's time to flex your democratic muscles, pals. Let's get political with your hosts, Sky Riggs and Stacey June. Welcome to our first ep of Let's Get Political. We're two girls interested in figuring out how we can exercise our political muscle. I'm Sky Riggs, the founder of Why Vote.
1: And I'm Stacey June, the founder of myself.
0: (laughs) And today's (laughs)
1: political topic that we're working out is independence. That's right. So there's an election coming up. Uh, A lot of the topics that we'll be talking about over the next four weeks will lead to the election. And mostly they're topics that you're purely interested to talk about because you're obsessed with politics (laughs) and I'm interested to talk about so I don't sound like a dumbass. I'm interested in social change. I spent years volunteering, being
0: involved in social change organisations, consulting companies on how to create social impact. But at the end of the day, it all comes back to or like the foundations are laid by the people developing the policies that mm, affect our lives. Mm. So I realized that for social change to happen, politics is a really important piece of the puzzle. That's so interesting because I remember
1: doing, I don't know if I've told you this, <laughs> Sky and I are obviously obviously friends, but we're fairly new newish friends. Yeah. We've been mates for a couple of years now. I did a political subject in uni. I was studying PR. So there was just, I had to actually go to another campus to study this. Yeah. But I had the foundations or the interest around, I guess, the same idea of, of working out how we're ran essentially. Mm-hmm. But I think that interest did come from the states. And then when I actually got to the subject, it's the only subject in my entire degree that I failed because I found the backbench from, I found it all so overwhelming. I remember the book was, i still got it. I should show you. It's like, it was like two yellow pages. It was so thick. And I was like, I don't want to learn all this stuff like this. I
0: majored in politics at uni, spent the whole time avoiding Australian politics, I
1: had total cringe factor about it and that's when I realised I needed to start changing that. So independence is a funny one and we mean independence, not independence as in Will Smith the movie. Was Will mm-hmm. Smith in Independence Day? <laughs> I have no idea. Well, we're not meaning no, that or yeah. whoever the big well, actor was in it's that movie.
0: figuring out if you're going to vote and you want to vote for a minor party or an independent candidate, are you throwing away
1: your vote? My first thought process is yes. In the past,
0: I've really listened to this dominant narrative that you're throwing away your vote if you vote for an independent or a minor party. Is is anyone telling us that? Yeah. Yeah, right. So we have been told that. It's a pretty big narrative. Yeah, right. In Australia, there's no such thing as
1: wasting your vote. So this is this narrative that we're told. It's true, right? Because I was thinking... I think the thing with politics and the way that we think about it, whether it's a major party, whether it's the way we vote, whether it's about whether you can talk about it or not talk about it, is is fed into your psyche so trickily and subtly that it's terrifying. Because when you think about does independent votes or does a vote for an independent count and you straight away go to no, where did you think of that Mm. idea. Like, where did that come from? You know, it's come from somewhere. But the thing is, I don't know where it has come from. That's the scary part about, I guess, around this election time or around campaigning or around the way that they, and we'll get onto that in a few episodes because we do want to have a conversation around media and messaging and that kind of stuff. But it is terrifying to think about, the decisions or I suppose the opinion you have on something and for so many different parts of my life, the kind of mascara I'm using, the kind of uh skincare I'm putting in, whether I'm eating broccoli so many times a day are all decisions I make that are very considered. When it comes to this stuff though, we kind of just go with an opinion that we have and and are not really aware of how we got it.
0: Yeah, I think voting in general, like how many people just go, "Oh, I'm just going to vote how my parents vote." Totally. So, but have you ever considered voting for an independent? I
1: have considered it because I've liked some of the ideas. I think sometimes they are—they seem a little bit more extreme than others. So it's like I really want to back you with that particular idea, but you kind of lost me with how far you're going with some other stuff. But even if I did think about, I mean, I already feel. Really kind of skeptical about voting for Greens, you know, and that's still a party that has more power than I'm sure an independent does in some cases. Well, that would be my opinion anyway. Mm-hmm. And so I already feel a bit like, is this, what's this vote going to do? Mm-hmm. And is it better for me to vote for one of the major parties to make sure that one of the two that I don't want doesn't get in rather than put it somewhere else where it could maybe fade away. Yeah, so that's the general like – Logic path, logical oh, path that so many so, people follow. With pol- politics, I'm, I feel like I'm the beige bitch. Like I'm just got the same, like the real, like in so many other parts of my life, I feel that I have a point of difference. But this is why this show is going to be so <laughs> confronting to me because I feel like I am the norm, and that's terrifying to someone like me. I don't want to be the norm.
0: Well, I feel like yeah, you know, so many of us are feeling really fed up. Like I think the days of like, oh, no, no, I don't talk about politics, and I'm not interested in that are changing because we can see that the system of democracy we have isn't great there's really poor faith we don't trust politicians but we are interested so I think that the narrative that you're talking about uh and I was looking into it because I just thought I'd test my own assumptions and everything I found with that narrative in the lead up to this was from someone who's either in a political party now or who who has previously been in a political party and from one of the major parties. And mm-hmm. it really comes from the major parties where there it is a risk to their seats and they're, them holding or forming power if they lose votes to minor parties like the Greens
1: or – So can you please break that down yeah. for us as to why it would be? I also now want to know, is – voting greens the same as voting independents like is it that is it is the are the greens like maybe a posse of independents and that's about the same power say if you got you you had 10 independents get up would that be the same as a a vote for the green party getting up like is that where we're at does that make sense (laughs) no
0: that sounds very confusing the greens are a minor well they might be considered bigger than a minor party but they're a not one of the two major parties. They're right. a minor party. An independent is an independent candidate running on their own platform. And so what we've seen in the last few years is a few independent candidates turn into minor parties. So you take mm-hmm. oh, someone like right. Pauline Hanson now has the Pauline Hanson One Nation party. Right, right. And she's running candidates under her okay. party. Okay, yep, yeah. Same yep. with oh, So that's how some Clive, of the smaller parties start. Clive Palmer.
1: So they start from independent. I didn't, I mean, I think I... That makes sense Mm, to me now, but I don't think I ever thought about it. I mean, we've seen it in this, like, personality politics
0: thing come through in the last few years. But there's lots of independent parties that, you know, when you rock up to an election every couple of years, you see them on the list and they're kind of familiar, you know, like Family First or the Sustainable Australia. Or There's all Mm -hmm. these minor parties that are around the place that Mm -hmm. you probably – Mostly aren't familiar with until you see them on your ballot paper.
1: I understand. In order for you to get power, you have to have so many seats. Mm-hmm. Is that yeah? So you have to happens? essentially
0: have the majority of seats in parliament. And so there's the lower house and the upper house. And to form government, you need the majority of seats. And so especially at the moment, the margins between the two Mm -hmm. major parties are so small that they don't want to see those votes spinning off to other minor parties and independent candidates because it makes it harder for them to form power. And the other thing about them being able to pass legislation and policy that they put forward at election time is kind of inhibited if they have to negotiate with a crossbench like people that if they don't have the majority of power and can't pass it through the lower house and the upper house and they have to negotiate and compromise it just makes it so much harder for them if they don't have the majority in
1: both houses so say a independent and independent got in and some of the major parties had to consult them more than what i guess they had in the past Mm -hmm. Is there really, like think about it from a realistic viewpoint, they're in parliament, they're in Canberra, they're walking around, old mate in the Liberal Party has to talk to this chick from Independent in Wagga, you know, and... and there's a form of, in order to get this across the line, I'm going to need to talk Mm -hmm. to this person and this person who are both independents. What is the reality of them standing their ground? Because you think as well, what power, not only do they have in terms of the democracy layout, but what power do these people have in terms of also being quite isolated by that process? I think about that and I think... Well, okay, then I understand it is important to vote for, for what I suppose the policies that best represent you. If that's an independent, then great. That can really change the game. Okay. So I understand that. But then in reality, can it? Because if they're going to have to stand up to these bullies that we hear about time and time mm-hmm. again from women saying that they, they mm-hmm. feel like they're not able to flex. Their their views, and you see Julie Bishop and Julia Gillard come out of politics, and they're talking about everything we wanted them to talk about in Parliament. Mm. What's the realistic opportunity for independents to actually make a move when they're surrounded by that environment? Okay, so there's a few things at play here. Like
0: first of all, I think people probably from major parties that would prefer there not to be independents and minor parties for them to negotiate with we will use language like it's going to be chaos and it's just going to, you know, I mean not that parliament isn't like that anyway. And they put forward this idea that how could – these independents have fully formed policy platforms. And so don't, you know, like you said, oh, I like that one idea, but what's all this other business? Mm -hmm. So they'll put forward this idea and this narrative that your vote's not going to count. And if you get these independents in, it's just going to cause chaos because we're not going to be able to do our jobs essentially. Mm -hmm. But there's actually quite a bit of power that they hold because the government are going to have to negotiate with them if they want to pass legislation. They're going to have to compromise. And I would argue that's pretty healthy for democracy if that's happening. The pr- hard bit for independence is when they get thrown into the limelight. So you take really high-profile independence like Jackie Lambie and this kind of thing. And and we'll be talking to an independent uh, later on in the show. Yeah. And when they have a deciding vote or a really powerful vote, suddenly they start having to talk about big national issues, whereas they they hold their power in really serving
1: their local
0: area. Right.
1: And so there is a bit of a – That's why when you get someone like Jackie, her national issues can be really divisive, but then her local issues – Yeah, Virginia, and she yeah, needs to be get incredible. the
0: job done for yeah, the people right. that elected her. Right. So there is that tension there so that would be a factor and so there's been candidates um like Kathy McGowan in the electorate of Indi who did a really good job well based on the fact that she got elected as an independent for a few terms and really served her local community and she probably doesn't have the profile of someone like Jackie Lambie and so managed to walk that line. Is it possible for independents
1: then to bow out of that national conversation?
0: Well, probably not because they do hold like power. If they if they hold the balance of power, just because you're an independent doesn't mean you're going to be in that situation, but with the margin between the two major parties, that's probably how it's going to be. Yeah, they're going to hold a balance of power on some really big topical issues. Mm. And so it's going to be very difficult for them to not participate. And also it can be in their interest because obviously to get elected as an independent, unless you are super local, have super grassroots connections to your community, it's really rare for an independent to get elected without some previous... Profile, like public Mm -hmm. profile, Mm -hmm. and more often than not, they have a past connection to a major political party.
1: Ah, so they go Mm. off on their own. Mm -hmm. They go Mm -hmm. rogue. Mm -hmm. So then that can play into, so say I was a local candidate for the Liberal Party, Mm. and then I was like, screw you guys, screw you hippies, I'm out, and I'm gonna go and run my own shop over here. I win, and then I start working with the labor party and other parties almost as an agenda to piss off the people that i left like can it get that caddy
0: Or well, I, d- I don't know that that's my area of expertise but i think it's more likely
1: um like so recent like in we recent years we haven't seen years, any independents that really have taken it the neck level where they've gone they've gone to and-
0: other side because no usually i think in my understanding is they leave cuz they have like a particular way they want to see done, they've gone like more extreme with their party. So for they're not really going to go at odds with their own philosophy. So for example, Corey Bernani left the coalition to form his independent Australian conservatives. He felt like the party was becoming, moving too much to the centre left. And so he spun off and wanted to create his own party that is more conservative and in his view represented right. what's going on in Australia. Right so now.
1: often you will feel something and you've joined a party that you think will be able to reflect that it might not have been enough. So then you're going off to reflect it in more of an extremist kind of way. Well, I mean, that's one
0: interpretation.
1: (laughs) Well, I think it's just one way of wording it, but really it's the same stuff. Like it does feel like a lot of them can be quite extremist. I think that's the other thing mm -hmm. that probably that puts people off, or maybe it's just the lack of knowledge that you know, you don't need to – like, so say, for example, you voted even for one of the major parties and there was one or two particular points on that ballot piece of paper that you didn't agree with. I think it's interesting to think that we are looking for a party that represents everything as well. And I think often – I don't know – because we are we see two of the major parties on the tally more, people speaking more, we feel like there's more of a voice that's more broader – but I guess that's not really the case if you break it down because they've all got, I guess, one or two policies that we probably would like differently, just the same as independence, right? Yeah, I think that's a big factor where we've got a lot of familiarity and the major parties
0: have lots of people working on their language that they're using essentially i think definitely if you're thinking of voting for an independent or a minor party like anything look into not just what is is on the front page of their website because they put some pretty broad statements out there Mm -hmm. look into the the candidate in your area
1: and just their history but how do you do that Like I feel like a lot of people rock up on the day and then they see their people, Mm. that's it. Like how do you find out who's running? I know that they've got billboards on electrical Mm. poles and stuff but I still don't feel like maybe someone just was busier with the Labor Party than – the other parties, and I can see old mate's face a lot more than all the others. Like there's a particular yeah. liberal candidate at the moment. She's everywhere, but I don't know who else is running. It just yeah. so happens that they have more you no know, more gophers to stick up <laughs> yeah. the side. well, so
0: here's a few things, I guess, if you're thinking about voting for an independent candidate. We don't have a system where it's first past the post, so like first person to more than 50% of votes. We have a preferential voting system. So what this means is if you want to vote for independent candidate number one, And you're worried that if they don't get up, because it's very unlikely they're going to get up, that you know the major party, the lesser of two evils, if you want to put it that way, Mm -hmm. is going to then get the vote. It doesn't work like that because you get a preference. So you get to say, if they don't get up, here's the next person I want my vote to to go to. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. Yeah, and so we have that system protecting us from that and it means our votes matter. And I think some would argue that... If you're feeling a bit dissatisfied with the major parties and like they're not representing your views, voting for a minor party that is closer to your views or an independent is a way of sending them a message that they need to do a better job of working to earn your vote than, you know, just going, oh, well, it's not going to matter anyway. I'm just going to vote for one of the major parties. So that's what
1: some people would argue. So it's flexing the muscle. Flexing the democracy muscle that we like to say around this show is figuring out ways to not just use it or not just look at it as a voting as such, but looking at it as a way that where you remove your vote is just as much power as giving a vote. Yes. Because you always voted for the Labor Party, for example, and you're like, I'm I'm done with you guys. I actually think that this particular independent is more suited to what I want. It's not only the fact that you've backed this independent, but you've also taken away a vote from a party that essentially – is one of two with all the power and that gives them a bit of a message well, if everybody if everybody voted like this. You haven't necessarily
0: taken away your vote, but you're saying I'm not putting you as my first preference. Well, You, you might put right. them as your second or third right. preference. Okay. Okay. So say I'm still mainly aligned with you, but I'm sending you a message that you need right. to do better. Okay. Um, and another thing is I used to live in a really super safe electorate and um, people would say, well, there's not even any point in voting because X party is going to win. The thing is, any party, once they, or candidate, once they get over 4% of the vote, for every vote they get, they get something like, I don't know, $2.70 for, from the Electoral Commission that will fund their future campaigns. What? Yeah. <laughs> so, Are you joking? yeah. So it's really important. Like, if you want to see your party be able to continue to campaign in the future on issues you care about, like if you say, Oh, I care about this, I, my views align with this minor party, but they're never going to get elected, so I'm not even going to bother voting for them. Think about how much many other people in your electorate might be doing the same thing and collectively how much impact that has on campaign financing
1: mm, that's so huge.
0: that's something that is something so stace i do want to just before we wrap up address that point you said about how do we even figure out who to vote for mm-hmm. if all we're seeing is xyz mm-hmm. i would say or just x yeah, My yeah. <laughs> I would say that as much as, you know, political parties and politicians do need to do better at representing the views of Australians, absolutely – I think we also have a responsibility. Democracy is a system. Like we, it doesn't just work by itself. We have to get involved. We don't expect to get fit and have abs if we don't do some work together. Mm-hmm. And I think we need to take responsibility for what we're seeing in politics at the moment. If we don't get informed, well, how do we or like make our voices heard and participate in these processes? Why would we expect to have a system that's working for us?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. So I would say if you're thinking, I mean, in any way you need to get informed about who you want to vote for before you rock up at the ballot box.
1: So can you put, like, do you go to a particular website or is there, like, does why vote have information about this? We, we will be putting out
0: information on an issue to issue level about where the parties stand. And yeah, you know, if I'm thinking. About some of the problems that people face and how do you navigate that? So we're Mm -hmm. not going to say, here's who you should vote for, but we'll say, how do I figure out where my, who my candidates are? Okay. We'll give you tips on that. All right. We'll put that
1: in show notes when uh, that hits on the vote website. But you know, close to the
0: election, there'll be more and more information on all the candidates and the minor parties. And you know, there was over a thousand candidates at the last election. So you do want to try and do some prep. But as an example, I've pulled up some minor parties, Stace, and I want to just read them out to you and have you guess what you reckon they stand for. Okay. How's that sound? Well, it's
1: all pretty self-explanatory, isn't it, with their titles? Uh, It can be. So what about Flux? Have you heard of Flux? Shit, no. (laughs) What do you reckon? It sounds like a toilet paper brand (laughs) or it sounds like a new like franchise gym. Like it's like a new something. Okay, so like, you we'll know, are you working out of flux? Are you working out of flex? Well, actually, for some reason, the word flexibility has come up okay. in my mind. So, yep. flex is it something where they are progressive or kind of more modern and open-minded? So I'm probably not going to do it justice. I
0: suggest you log onto their website. But Uh basically they're looking at new ways of direct democracy. So you can actually vote for the Flux Party in the Senate and they don't have – policy platforms you become a member of the party and for every piece of legislation that goes through parliament you can say how they'll put forward some like information on that you can say how you want their candidate to vote in parliament and are they based in melbourne they've got to be yes <laughs> i think
1: they are <laughs> of course anyway they are.
0: that's you know they're they're amazing doing really interesting innovative stuff around democracy and direct democracy and blockchain and all that stuff so okay. definitely check out their website because i'm not an expert okay, cool. um how about the The One
1: Asian Party. One Asian Party? Yes. Are they just like a counter counter party to the One Nation Party? (laughs) Like is it just like a piss take of we're all Asians, you can go (laughs) F yourself? No, this is one particular individual
0: who it is a bit of a, he's a comedian, it is a bit of a piss take, but Uh he's also dead serious. You can vote for him. He wants to prove how easy it is to get elected as a senator in Australia.
1: Is he Asian? Yeah,
0: yeah, oh, okay. yes. <laughs> um, but I think that's really cool because if you think one vote doesn't make a difference, he's a really interesting campaign to watch because he is trying to prove how easy it is to get elected okay. and I think that's something a lot of us don't consider running ourselves. Mm. So, you know, if you're out there, especially if you're young, maybe consider running. Okay, <laughs> yeah, right.
1: What about Rise Up Australia? Rise up, rise up. Is it like something to do with the sun? <laughs> like something to do with the environment. Actually, like. um, it's unclear to me, to be honest. You can't bring and- that to the podcast. <laughs> What's rise up? I got no. I got well, sweet do you Apple know what
0: that. is interesting? Is a lot of them. So when I was going through this, a lot of them have very broad statements, like. Good education, climate action, freedom of speech and these things and immigration policy and it's like, ah, uh, but what? So i definitely say if you're researching this before the election, a few tips, dig a little deeper. Some of them have like a lot of policies that sound pretty good and then you get to one thing and you're like, ooh, boy. One more, uh,
1: the bricky will fix it. I'm supposed to guess what his policies are. Yeah. The bricky will fix it. He's a
0: bricky. He's going to fix
1: it. What's he going to um, fix? Construction, um, like town planning or something. <laughs> What's he fixing?
0: Well, it's quite, quite some big stuff he is going to fix. Jobs. And he's going to focus on green energy industry that Australia needs. That sounds good. Climate change, phasing out fossil fuels, and moving towards zero emission economy. See,
1: this is what I mean. This is yeah, no, it's pretty to, broad. To wrap up, this is mm. there is. I get some of it is to make a point. I get some of it is a part of being in democracy. I get that that's really fabulous. But then some of that's a piss take to me. Like, how are you going to solve job? Like, it, exactly. It makes me so, feel like they take out the power of independents that are really trying to make a difference, i got to say. And so, there is a real issue there with independents that are not only that have experienced, which as you pointed out earlier, which a lot of us, I suppose, don't know because they might not have been heard of in bigger parties or that have some kind of council experience, you know, or different. I mean, it doesn't have to be that you've been in some form of government, but it does. It does make it an interesting playing field when you've got some bricky going up against someone that's actually a political, like has political knowledge and and no, and has contacts. And I don't can think actually the issue it.
0: is random people running. I think the issue is people making an informed vote um, mm, because right. and like some people definitely the major parties and this has got a valid point that say well these people aren't going to have the resources to develop really robust policy. But there's plenty of examples where there's been independence and minority governments where that hasn't been the case. So the point is, is just before you make your vote, spend some time researching the candidates in your electorate, type your electorate name. If you don't know your electorate, go into the Australian Electoral Commission website and you can put in your postcode and it'll come up and show your electorate. And look up the candidates and see what their policies are, but do it before you rock up to that ballot. And I think in terms of can these independent candidates really make a difference? And do they have robust policy and what impact can they really make? I think that's why it's so good that we're getting, we're going to be speaking to an independent candidate. Mm, I've got a lot of questions after this chat. (laughs) Did you know at the 2016 election, there were more than 1000 candidates and it looks like it'll be the same in 2019. That's bluenale We decided to speak to Rebecca Sharkey because she's got experience both working for a major party and now she is an MP for a minor party that started out with an independent candidate. So we thought she could share a lot of perspective.
2: while we're doing. this.
1: let's just start from the beginning to give everybody a picture, Rebecca, on a really quick snapshot at I suppose the different different stages of your career. Have you always worked for a, a minor party?
2: No, no, no. Not at all. Not at all. And I haven't uh, always worked in politics. When I left Year Twelve, I'm going to show my age here, which is back in 1990. Um, it's a pretty horrible recession going on, so I actually didn't go into uh, university straight away. I, I drove in an old car up to Darwin and ended up working in a law firm up there, so I actually worked, ended up working for about 15 or so years as a paralegal and studied essentially at night time um, a degree in political science. I think they're called fancier things now, I think it's called international relations nowadays and a second major in Australian public policy. I didn't end up working in politics until 2006, so a long time after that. Uh, and uh, that was with a lady called Isabel Redmond. Uh, She was a state member of the Liberal Party here in South Australia, um, but quite a centrist, progressive member of Parliament, Uh, and she was Shadow Attorney General, so I worked for her initially as a legal researcher, and then when she became leader of the opposition down here, so the first South Australian woman to be a leader of the opposition, uh, I then worked with her on her campaign. I left working for the Liberal Party in 2012, I sort of felt by then that, you know, my values were, were not aligned particularly well, particularly to the, what I saw, the language in the Federal Parliament. So, you know, China, all Tony Chinese commentary I, I started to feel quite uneasy. And so I then worked in the youth sector, uh, and it was actually the youth sector that took me back around obviously being into, into politics. I love that. I
0: think you've got such an interesting perspective to offer because kind of what we see a lot of is people's journeys just being with one party. And you've obviously got that perspective of having an insight into a major party, but you've made that choice to work for a minor party and also your experience in the youth sector, which obviously we're talking to a lot of young people who feel like they've just really lost trust with political parties in our system of democracy at the moment. So from your perspective, what do you think minor parties or independent candidates can offer young voters?
2: I think you can offer authentic representation. If you're in a major party, you
1: are bound
2: to the party line. Whereas I can offer to the Parliament and to to my community um, voting that truly represents what my community thinks. So um, I guess spending the best part of four years in the youth sector, um, I was the National Executive Officer for a program called Youth Connections when Tony Abbott uh, came to power. It was a really successful program. Um, One of his uh, first plans uh, in that horrible budget of 2014 was to... Defund that program, and that made me so wild because I felt young people were quite voiceless. They just didn't have the, and these were the most vulnerable young people. They just didn't have the ability to fight that. Uh, you know, we had the defunding of uh, Ayac, the National Youth Lobby Group. Um, so it was a really, it was a really, I think, dark time in politics for young people, and that was what got me into politics in the first place. And, and since being a member, I hold my regular Young Mayo um, in my office because I think. Talking and connecting with young people in a different way than you connect with older people in the community is, is critical. So it's really relaxed. It's in my it's for 12 to 24s and basically we, we, um, around and, and we eat pizza and, and we work really hard on, on some of the things that we think are important, such as um, me taking a National plastic Bag ban to the parliament.
0: Yeah, I actually read about that and you must be thrilled to have seen the latest youth enrolment stats.
2: Absolutely. Look, you know, if we go back to that 2013 election, if all of the young people in Australia word, had involved that were entitled to role and had voted, they could change fifty seats in that election, and I think it's really important that young people realise um, what power they really have with their vote. I think we saw that with the marriage equality. Um, the that uh, we saw a, a real spike in youth enrolments.
1: Then I think it is becoming more more understood that we do have power, and I think you're right with the um, with the marriage equality vote. People started to see in action what could happen if we actually started to take this a little bit more seriously. But I think the next step for us now is to understand what's going on once we vote. And I'm fascinated to know if, you know, if to say for an example or a case study, I was to put a vote behind an independent or a minor party, How how do you, I guess, explain the power you have day to day? I think a lot of us don't understand how you don't get completely drowned out by those bigger parties and and how it is personally for you to stand up to, I suppose, a huge posse of people that have a lot of the time the majority and and actually try and get the things that you're eating pizza discussing in that room. Like how do you kind of put forward your voice, which seems like from the outside could be very easily drowned out?
2: See, I would argue the ones that are drowned out are the back benches on, in both the major parties. If you're in a, a minority government situation, obviously every person on the crossbench is, is critical and... and I, just from my own experience, even though we had a, um, a very small ma- majority in this parliament and then went into a minority government, um, you know, there is enormous influence with a cross-benture but there's also enormous responsibility. So uh, that, me, as a crossbench,er I could be up the and had the opportunity to meet with any minister I needed to about independence of legislation or other issues in my community. So there's I think there's and I would talk to with back who were often really frustrated that they didn't have that um, opportunity to meet with their ministers at the regularity guide would and to discuss legislation but also to shape legislation. Um with having two centralised senators um we essentially um are part of that power balance in the Senate and so and we take very seriously responsibility of shaping legislation and improving legislation as well. So, so you have that influence if, if your Member of Parliament is on the crossbench. Um, but, but also that, that the crossbench person is not bound by party um, line on how to vote, so they will authentically represent you in the in Parliament. Why? I would be asked by a government um, how I was going to vote on really every piece of legislation and I like a bad picture. I need to have a position on every single piece of question. Yeah, it's a really interesting
0: point you raise about like, you really need to be equipped with your position on all of these things because you've got like a lot of, I guess, scope to kind of put forward your view. I think some people um, might argue, and it's kind of easy to follow this logic when you're reading the various media sources and stuff like that, that minor parties or independent candidates are kind of fringe and they don't have the resources to develop robust policy positions. So what would you say to this kind of uh, narrative that's put forward?
2: Well, look, it's true we don't have the resources, but that doesn't mean that we're not highly effective. You would not have had a Royal Commission to the Bank if you did not have a crossbench that from the get-go was saying, demanding a Royal Commission to the banks. If you did not have a crossbench, you would have had company tax cuts through to, to the well in of Australia. So um, you would not have had the gunski legislation today um, if it wasn't for the direct negotiation of the crossbench. You know, the crossbench is is really there, I think, to keep both the major parties honest, uh, to keep them uh, accountable. I don't see my job as to as to hold the government to ransom, you know, hold a hold gun to their head. But certainly, my job is to call out um, legislation when it's there, to call out practice um, when, when we don't believe that. Um, uh, appropriate. I mean, there is close contact really in every workplace except the Parliament. Um, there are so many things. Exactly. political political donations is, an, is another issue that is the unity among the crossbench because we believe that uh, that uh, big money has, has quite, I think, it supports democracy. I think that too many of the decisions made um, have uh, implications where uh, I wonder about the Uh, the influence of of major party donors? Well,
1: of course. You you would be kidding yourself if you thought that people donating had absolutely zero (laughs) influence on the way you were working your party line. Like it's just – I think that's just – life. I think that's, I mean, gosh, we could do a whole episode
0: on that in itself. But I think you just um, mentioned an important point, Rebecca, about kind of the conduct in Parliament and the accountability there and the behaviour that, you know, just wouldn't be accepted in the workplace. And I think a lot of people are feeling a lot of fatigue
1: because of what we see play out. And which often takes away from any of the actual policy. Conversation. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, we never seem to be able to cut through with anything that anyone's actually planning to do. So, I guess, like, in view of that, and you know, we,
0: we are kind of our goal is to help people get a bit of a politics workout. And so, to help them get over this fatigue, what would be one or two actions you recommend that general citizens going into this election take to uh, build some political muscle and kind of engage in the issues and not perhaps all the colourful banter that's
2: going on? Look, I, I, would, um, I would say that people, read widely. Don't just read news newspapers to get your news sources and daily on the issues that you care about, whether it's um, climate change, whether it's uh, making sure that older Australians uh, have a, a better resource. Have your list of issues and make contact with all of the candidates in your seat. Remember, and this is a really critical thing, people are not voting for Scott Morrison for the candidates in their seat. I'm nodding
0: vigorously
2: right now. <laughs> well, I, th- I think it was around, I sort of pinpointed it to around 2007, you know, the, the Kevin 07 election. We sort of went to this presidential style election. And then people get really disappointed when, when the political parties um, to pose their own leaders, and we only just saw that last August with, with our former Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull. Um, people in the Westminster system, people don't choose uh, uh, the Prime Minister, they choose their own elected representative, get to know your local candidates, get to know your local MP, uh, ask them questions, send them an email, maybe your issue back to you, make a call into their office. I know that young people might not be that interested in party politics, but they are interested in issues. And so, getting to know exactly where your hands stand on the issues that matter to you, I think, is the most important thing that
1: people can do. One hundred percent, and I think that it's really time that we start to understand exactly how a democracy works, so we can work it out.
2: Um, exactly.
1: <laughs> the last question I have, really quickly, is if you could correct one misconception uh, that young voters have to be um, the younger voters have on either an independent or a smaller party, what would it be?
2: Independent members are not just on the fringe um, in the lower house; the majority of the independent centre, because much. Australia sits in the centre, and uh, you'll get uh, you'll get much better value there voting uh, for independence uh, in, in the lower house, and, and you will most likely make your seat a marginal seat, and that's where that's where the politics is. This seat of Mayo was a safe seat for a very long time. It was only in the 2016 election um, when uh, when I was fortunate enough to win that. Uh, all of Australia lifted their
1: head. Oh, Mayo, where's Mayo? Well, now you could say it's mostly Mayo. Well, yeah, you you put Mayo on the map. Let me tell you, Sky filled me in on that earlier and said that it was a liberal seat for a very long time. She's a South Australian girl and spoke about how big that was and how I suppose it is interesting to watch, just like we did with marriage equality dynamics what are changing. What passion behind your vote can do. Yeah. It really can shift things. And the power
0: of one vote, you know, putting, if you just sub out your vote because it's, you think it's a safe seat, if you put all of those votes together collectively, that's where we can lose opportunities to, you know, create change.
2: Well, there's still so many places in the world where you don't get a free vote, so we should cherish the opportunity to vote and it's not uh not an overly onerous task, you don't you know if you're working on the Saturday the election, do it beforehand, but, um, but I, I know that it's done improperly for one time and the power is handed back to the people,
1: so use it. Thank <laughs> you so much, Rebecca, and <laughs> um, good luck with everything. Thank you.
0: Did you know you have to wait till you're 18 to vote, but did you know you can enrol when you're sweet 16? Who's doing that? We need more people to do that.
1: Okay, first episode done, Sky, You feeling fit? Oh, I feel like, yeah, I feel like the, you know when you don't really want to do something and then once you do it, like when it comes yes, to fitness. Like and, swimming laps. And kind of politics to me. Once you do it, you feel good about yourself. Yeah, totally. I feel like I know more than I did and I feel like it's a topic that sometimes I don't always want to learn about, which is very similar to... Exercise, <laughs> hence the theme of the podcast. I would,
0: I would actually choose to do exercise over politics, personally. Really? Yeah, like because it is a bit of a bit of a storm at the moment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I'm glad you. I got something out of that. I thought Rebecca was super interesting and, you know, especially coming from really what was a safe seat, shows the power of the vote and I love that.
1: Yeah, and when you say safe seat, you mean that it was like a Liberal Party kind of real, um, I don't know, what's the word I'm looking for? Like it was just set in stone, right? Yeah, so it'd been Liberal for years and years and years and years. Okay, okay. So I want to ask a few questions just to wrap this up for anybody that didn't follow everything through this chat. If you've gotten this far, then thank you so much for listening to our first episode. But we did speak a lot about the Mm crossbench and uh, she spoke about it a lot. And I felt like at times I was a little bit lost with what she meant. So, could you run us through what a crossbench is? And I know what a backbench is in theory, but I want to understand in context to what she was explaining and what you were saying earlier in the show. I
0: think lots of us understand the vibe, but basically the crossbench are the independent or minor party uh, members of Parliament. Really? So, okay. You know how, like, Labor sit on one side and Liberal National Party sit on the other side. Uh-huh. The the middle ground is the where they plonk everyone else, basically. Right. If you're looking, like, literally looking
1: at a map of Parliament, that's where they sit, and that's a cross bench. In show notes, we'll put a picture of the bench <laughs> just so you understand what she means by the map, because a lot of people probably have never even seen that picture. I have because I did <laughs> failed a political st- subject in uni, but that's the only reason I've ever looked at that. And I think what she what you means, guys. That picture you see on the news and you see when you look at question time and stuff where they're sitting there yelling at each other. Yeah. Yep, there's, a part, <laughs> there's a part of that gallery that, um, that the crossbench people sit. Okay. I didn't know that that was for basically the rest.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's like, it refers to like across the floor kind of thing. Okay. What about backbench? So backbench is basically the ministers. It's the opposite of the cool kids sitting at the back of the bus. It's the, members of parliament that don't, aren't a minister or a shadow minister. So right. they don't have like an area of government. They so look after.
1: could you give us an example of who someone would sit there? Um, so, you know,
0: when Tony Abbott, uh, I can't remember which time he wasn't the leader anymore. Uh-huh. And so he said, I'm not going to be a minister anymore. Uh-huh. Then he went and sat up because he wasn't, look, he wasn't minister for women anymore and things like that. He right. went, he didn't have ministry.
1: So he went and sat up the back. But can you sit at the back if you don't, you have to have won a seat. So you have to have won your yeah, local yeah. seat. You're a
0: member of parliament. You're you right. just you know how you'll hear things like there's the minister for agriculture or the minister for innovation yes. or whatever. yes. All the ministers and the shadow ministers sit up the front mm-hmm. and then the backbenchers, are the people that don't have a portfolio. But, they're, but they're, their but their their seats I think the
1: portfolio is the term. Right. Their seat or their head is what makes parliament up. Though, yeah, yeah. Which is why they're important, but they don't really have a say. <laughs> No, they do well, but you know what that I mean, depends. Yeah. That's that's another another episode. <laughs> but I mean, have a say in terms of speaking on the day. Can yeah, they, no, they, they can. can speak. Yeah, they actually, can?
0: they're often the people that ask those premeditated questions. Like, so someone will from the prime minister's party will ask him a question that's scripted, and so that they can talk about whatever they want in Parliament. Right? Okay. Mm.
1: Okay, that's good to know. I hope you guys got some kind of clarity around uh, <laughs> independence, minor parties today. That was the idea. I mean, I guess one thing I took away from this, and
0: I, you know, you and I have both talked about this, is the feeling that, like, kind of the trepidation going in thinking, oh, if I'm, am I going to throw away my vote if I put this candidate first that's a minor party or whatever? Mm-hmm. And I think my takeaway is no, like, you're not throwing away your vote, but just pay attention to who you give your preferences to because mm-hmm. that's where you can start to lose the power of your vote. I hope you enjoyed that quick political workout. You can find us on the socials. I'm at yvote.com.au. Uh, Stacey June. And, of course, if you feel like you've got a bit of a exercise, a bit of good workout, go and give us a little review and a subscribe. Please do. We'll see, we'll see you next week. Bijou Podcasts, the home of taboo conversations.